It's Dr. Stu's podcast, podcast number 85. Let that sink in for a moment. Number 85. Here's a guy who decided, yeah, I'll do a podcast, but doesn't have ADD. Didn't quit after three or four or five or 10 or 15 or 20. He's taking it all the way to podcast number 85. Learning from Dr. Stu, sharing information, informed consent, meeting a lot of folks, interviewing great people, soliciting your feedback. If you have feedback, AskDrStu at gmail.com. He reads every single email. And we suggest you subscribe at iTunes so you'll get an alert. You'll never miss an episode of Dr. Stu's podcast. If this is the first time you've stumbled across Dr. Stu's podcast, uh, uh, right here on the website are all of the shows iTunes, all of the shows, you can go back and listen to a wonderful catalog of 85 shows where, um, well, what would you say, Dr. Stu, to somebody who is new to Dr. Stu's podcast, because in this digital age, there are new people all the time. What would you say uh, in, in, in a few moments? What would you, how would you describe in a sentence or two the, the goal of the 85 podcasts that have been done and what they offer the listener? Well, first, Brian, uh, the podcast was actually your idea, and and I still remember sitting at uh, at the deli at Conrad's Conrad's Thank coffee you. shop. Yep. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I want to just I want to just wish myself a happy birthday because uh, this podcast will be airing during my birthday week. Happy birthday! You Thank want me to do my Marilyn Monroe for you? Sure. Or? Just just a, just a line or two. All right. Happy birthday to. Yeah, okay, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> that's right. good enough. That's good enough. I think that's good heard. enough. That is one of the creepiest things I've ever seen you yes, do. Yes, especially, uh, especially with what you're wearing right now. Yeah, wait till I get out Don't of Don't stand my... over the vent, okay? Okay, wait hey, till I get out of my chair and um, do it. Then it gets I, w- I would say that the podcast... You're right, it was my idea, because I'm not just a performer, but I've got a mind of a producer. But I'm telling you that the reason that we did the podcast was because we sat and we were talking, and I was just telling you about all the things that are going on in my world as far as OB and, and medicine and uh And you were the one thing I looked for. You were the one thing I looked for in podcasts and talk show hosts, performers. I look for passion, and you had a ton of it. Oh, yeah, we had a very intense conversation that day. As we do pretty All much every, yeah. every day. And uh, you, you suggested you? it. So so for me, this is great because I used to blog a lot. I used to write a lot. And Renee, you know, our famous uh, uh, Google uh, web person, Renee. The mistress of the podcast. Yes, the, se- the secret behind the secret. The secret storm, sauce. The secret sauce behind the podcast. Renee is it. She, um, she wants me to blog more. But I'll tell you, when I have the podcast, I, I'm able to express myself without having to spend a lot of time with my two little fingers because I'm a two-finger typist. Right, you don't get and carpal I, tunnel doing yeah, a podcast. Yeah. That's so, right. no, so, so, but it, it, we cover all topics. I mean, I, well, some of my favorite topics have been non-medical stuff like the podcast where which was Coachella or not to Coachella. I was just going to say Coachella yeah. or not to Coachella. When <laughs> By the way, she went, I do think I might have said this before, but she did go to Coachella this year. You know, See, like, it's been a year already. Oh yeah, since the first debate. Well, she the first year she was a senior in high school. The way we discussed it, and I wouldn't let her go. So help and me. And this year she's a freshman in college, and is, she just finished that. And so I, she went, and I wasn't going to stop her anyway. She wasn't going to listen to me. It is July of 2015. It is. What was the month and year that we did the first podcast? It was summer 2013. July 2013. We are really at our two year anniversary. Nothing from you. No watch. 
No gift certificate for Burger King? <laughs> Randy forgot to remind me. Nothing out of you? Randy slipping. Unbelievable. Randy slipping? Yeah. Please. Yeah. This is a very special. No, I'm, I'm doing my best Obama. I'm, I'm actually blaming everybody else. Okay, good. Well, you, you know what? You're doing a good job then. <laughs> uh, doing a good job with your impression. This is a very special podcast. We let you know at the tail end of podcast number 84. Uh, this is podcast number 85. This is a big deal because as the end of the last calendar year approached and the beginning of the calendar year came, we talked about New Year's resolutions, and we talked about one of the things that Dr. Stu really wanted to do. He had encountered some uh, locked, closed doors that wouldn't open, despite the fact that he's Dr. Stu. The doors, <laughs> really, the doors were closed, and and uh, and he never ever, because he's a positive guy, he never had his head down. But Dr. Stu was determined to get published, to get his out of hospital births experience the quantity the number of births that the babies he's caught the experiences the 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 scientific evidence associated with uh at the time it was the first 100 births right yeah so you can see how you know the first paper was titled the first 100 births and and by the time i finally got it published i actually added in 35 more so, so you you now have published a hundred a hundred and the details a series of 135 out of hospital births on a very serious note because sometimes on this program we're not serious and we goof around a lot i want to say to you friend to friend as serious as i can be i am i'm going to touch you too i am so proud of you thank you brian because i know you've wanted this for a long time yeah it's it's for me it's a big accomplishment i mean obviously uh the american journals that i tried to submit to initially uh i'm not an academic writer uh i have too many opinions uh i, I did become friends with the editor of the green journal which is uh probably the premier uh, obstetrical journal in the united states she was very candid with me. We had some really good conversations about things. I do have a letter to the editor about the Canadian breach study that will be coming out in a month or two in one of the um, green journals. So that was accepted. But this letter, she basically said, was too opinionated and was likely to alienate too many of our colleagues. And and I just joked with her and I said, well, if you thought this one was opinionated, you should, you should have seen my first draft. You ain't seen nothing this yet. Is, this draft, this is like my, you know, the 13th or 14th draft of the paper. I had to change it, eliminate words, cut it down do sorts of things. But we finally uh, did submit it to it, something called Obstetrics and uh, a journal called Obstetrics Gynecology International Journal. It is a online journal only, uh, but it is peer reviewed. And funny enough, the, uh, the, the editor of the green journal is actually on the peer review board. So uh, it, it is, it is um, reputable, reputable enough for me to finally get something printed out there. And uh, it has sort of been really taking off in the last, uh, well, this will this will be aired after it's been out a couple weeks. But, sure, but Do the, it's been a whirlwind the first couple of days that this came out. Uh, Doctor Sue has published. Before we get uh, to the details of what's in the article that you worked so diligently to get published for the benefit of readers and science and moms and and babies and birthing, uh, let's talk logistically. If folks want to seek it out, uh, we can put links on the website to where folks can find it. Uh, where does it appear? Does it appear? It, I assume it appears in some sort of medical journal that 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 a mainstream reader would have to be directed to and might not be aware of. Is yeah. that accurate? Well, Renee, if you're listening, you're going to put the uh, by now the link is already up directly from sure. uh, my website and my Facebook page and stuff like that. But uh, it, the journal itself is uh, uh, by, owned by a company called MedCrave. It's M-E-D-C-R-A-V-E. Uh, and, and the website is MedCraveOnline.com. 
And if you look at their articles on the front page, you'll have to now they, they have added more. So you have to scroll down to the ones that were posted on July 7th uh, of 2015. And it's the third article posted on July 7th. And it's titled uh, Home Birth in Parentheses uh, with an Obstetrician, a Series of 135 Births. And um, the reason home birth is in parentheses is because obviously some of the births I did here were at birthing centers, and I wanted to be accurate. But I also wanted uh, the home birth to be in the title, because uh, you know we want when people start to when this gets more popular and people start Google searching, and they put in the words home birth, it's important. You want to it to show up. Sure. Keywords. Certain keywords sure. are important. Sure. Uh, the article I have it in my right hand is full of a lot of graphs and and information. <laughs> That's a funny story too. Uh, for, uh, what what the graphs? The graphs. Yeah. I'll tell, tell you. us. Uh, no, oh, okay. Tell us now. Yeah. Well, so I first submitted it to this journal, and the thing that they submitted back to me is they said. Well, we like your paper, but it, it needs more graphs and, and, hmm. and charts. You need to Ross Perot it up a little right, bit. Exactly. Now you exactly see here, right. now, now you see, now you see, these are, see, these are uh, VMAX, see, now that right here, see, these are cesarean sections, see, now. See, can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish? So you, they, you know who loves Ross Perot more than anybody in America? Ross Perot. No, well, second. Who? Bill, Bill Clinton. Oh, yeah, got him elected. He got him elected. Bill That's Clinton right. got elected with a plurality of the votes. You know, <laughs> you look back, Ronald Reagan, you know, in 1980 with John Anderson. Remember that name? John Anderson was a Republican congressman, a moderate from, yes, an from Illinois. Illinois. That's ran correct. as an independent, got 6.6% of the vote. And so Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Carter, was so unpopular, he only got 40% of the vote. But Reagan, because of Anderson, he got 50.7% of the right. vote. So sometimes in American politics, you can win with a plurality of the vote, not the majority of the vote. President Clinton is an example of that. But recently, we've seen, for example, Obama having a majority of the vote over 50%, which is the way I think most people like it, any vote, right? Whether you're voting for homeowners association president, voting for PTA president, or voting for president of the United States, you'd love somebody to get 50% plus one because there's some unanimity about that right there's some consensus yeah you you like to think that there's a candidate that more than 50 percent plus one could, could so, adore. so so we had fun anyway with Ross so Bro. tell so, me about the charts. so um yeah <laughs> so she, she said you got to gussy it up a little bit so i'm, I'm laughing did she use the term gussy? no no okay. no no i'm i'm laughing because because okay so i i don't know anything about this so i actually went i actually had renee find me a um a graduate student okay uh, I think she was from North Carolina. I think Duke. I think Duke or or one of the schools back east. Smart young person. And she and I communicated online. I told her what I needed, and and for a fee, she put these graphs together. And uh, so now I've got graphs in there. They they essentially say they show the same thing that's in the text, but. Once but, I submitted it back to them with the graphs, it was accepted within a matter of a day or two. Look at the USA Today. If you've ever been in a hotel and you walk out in the morning, you see that USA Today sitting right there outside the door. You na you, you you go you you like uh, magnetically you go to the graphs and the charts because they're sometimes easier to read. You can sometimes get a lot of information in a much lesser time than if you read text. So let's talk about. Uh, let me read here the headline. Doctor Stu's been published, and if you've been following Doctor Stu, this is a celebration 
Association of Doctors do and his perseverance that the guy's been published. Uh, it was 100. It was going to be, you remember, on his first 100 home births in the time that it took to get published. <laughs> we're up to 135 out of hospital births. Uh, Which is good because it gives it actually a little bit more statistical relevance. Absolutely. Right. Headline, home birth, in quotes, with an obstetrician, a series of 135 out-of-hospital births. Uh, Dr. Stu, what is the grandest takeaway from your published reflections on these 135 out-of-hospital births? You know, that's What's what... the most important grandest takeaway? The grandest takeaway is that the system that we have in place right now is not doing well and that there is another model that works. And whether or not this model can be replicated by, by other doctors is unlikely because most other doctors don't have the, the cojones or the skill to do what I'm doing right now. They're not training them. But it clearly shows that, that a model, which includes midwives, and considering low-risk women or healthy women to not, be, to, to not treat them as if they're broken, in other words, give them allow midwives and the midwifery model to care for low-risk women, you're going to have better outcomes. You're going to have lower cesarean section rates. You're going to have better patient satisfaction. You're going to have better short and long-term outcomes if you change the model. Because the model we have right now is leading to a 32.5% cesarean section if rate. You change a the, if, I may, if you change the model to expand the role of midwives... Right. Because we have talked here over the months uh, about an assembly bill here in California. And I looked at you one day during our podcast and I said, wait a minute, Dr. Stu, you support this legislation. But this legislation, I don't remember the number of it now. This legislation basically allowed for or made easier the elimination of the Dr. Stu in the equation and gave more power to midwives and doulas and seemed to, with all due respect, you talk about self-preservation. Elim- not eliminate, but 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 soften, uh, or or come for society to come to not so be be so reliant on the contributions of the doctor, the OBGYN, which you are. Yeah, that's not what that study. That's not what that uh, assembly bill did. That assembly bill allowed licensed midwives who practice at home or independent. But has be, there be, been a movement to allow uh, doulas and midwives to to uh, to take on more responsibilities that were traditionally taken on by the doctors? Not yet. Not yet. Not Would any, you support that? Oh, of course. I think that that hospital models like Kaiser, which do use midwives in labor and delivery overall have lower cesarean section rates and I think some better patient satisfaction. Again, I don't know that there's any, I don't, you know, the problem is, is so many people think you need to study to prove something. And I don't think you need to study to prove that it's safer to walk across the street when the light is green than when it's red. But there are people who probably would want to study. I want to make it very clear. This, this paper is not a study. Okay. This paper is a, it's it's a a clinical, yeah, it's a clinical series. It is basically a a report of, of my own experiences. I'm not saying that, that this is something that's, it's not scientific, all right? I've, I've had debates on, uh, on Facebook and other people with people who come back and say, this study, in order to, you can't be doing these things at home because this, is, this hasn't been uh, proven yet and you're, you're doing breaches at home and that's never been proven, that's dangerous. We need a, and here's what he said, we need a multi-center study to determine whether or not it's safe. And I go, what's wrong with the doctor's experience after doing 135 well, out of hospital births? Yeah but, yeah, but even his premise of we need a multi-center study, how do you have a multi-center study of home birthing? I mean, you, you can't, you, there's no such thing as centers of home birthing. Right. So, 
I mean, it's, it's oxymoronic. And, and so you, it, what we want to do is, what I want this to get out there is, this gives midwives around the country or around the, hopefully around the world a bit of evidence when they present themselves to a committee or a doctor or a community and they're looking for backup or support say, look at, here's what can be done. Here are the numbers that can be done. And here's something that's in print that allows us to, to, um, to give us some, you know, everybody asks, well, give me some evidence that, that what you're doing is safe. Yeah. Well, here's some evidence that just it adds to the pile of things. Brian, it, it, it is, it's a, it, you're, you're still talking against a brick wall in very much in the in the obstetrical field, the esta- colleagues, the, the established obstetrical field is not ready for this change. But you know whether it's at glacial speed or a little bit faster, we're going to see some change because it has to come because consumers will read this. Consumers will then ask their doctors questions. Well, how come this guy can do these sorts of things? And their doctor is going to have to say, well, he's crazy, or he's lucky. Or maybe he's on to something. On Dr. Stu's podcast number 85, we are celebrating our very own Dr. Stuart Fishbein because uh, if you've been following the show, uh, I remember shows where you were sort of bummed that you hadn't, uh, weren't able to be published and you were getting those rejections. Well, those days are over. Dr. Stu has been published and, uh, and reflects on 135 out of hospital births, and it's really significant. We want to make it easy. Renee, who is the mistress of the podcast, she'll, ma- she'll make it really easy when you go to drstewspodcast.com to get access uh, to this report that has been published. A couple of things I've noticed in doing now 85 podcasts with you. Uh, We can't, you can't, intellectuals can't talk that long about out-of-hospital birth or home birth without pretty quickly getting to the issue of breaches. And vaginal deliveries, vaginal deliveries of breech babies. And I know you spend a lot of time in this piece that has been published on that issue. And we'd be remiss if we didn't have you talk about it uh, while you're here celebrating the publication of your findings. Right. Well, let's let's start. I mean, I, I'd like to spend a little time in the next few minutes talking about breaches, VBACs and twins. Sure. And then my overall statistics, my overall transport rate. Because uh, people always say, well, what if this happens or what if that happens? And basically those things generally haven't happened and don't happen if you leave nature to labor as you should. But you asked about breaches specifically. Okay, in this in this study, or not study, I can't I use the wrong word. See, I, I, I got brainwashed. In this clinical series, because again, it's not a study. In this clinical series, there were 27 singleton breach deliveries out of 135. Now, if you take the normal breach ratio, which is about three to 4%, I should have had six uh, breach deliveries, but because I'm sort of a breach magnet, I have had 27 singleton breach deliveries, of which 22 of those delivered at home, which is an 81.7%. Now, you take 27 breaches at almost any hospital in my area here, and all 27 of those women would have had cesarean sections. Mm. Here we were able to have 22 of them did not have cesarean sections. And of the other five, Brian, who ended up having to go to the hospital by car, all right, just like any other woman, if they would have had the option of an epidural and Pitocin like a head first baby does, then some of those women may have delivered vaginally too. Unfortunately, when a woman who's laboring at home with a breech deliver, uh, baby ends up needing to go to the hospital because her labor has stalled out, um, the contractions have spaced out to the point where nothing's happening or things aren't going well anymore, um, she knows she's going in for cesarean section because there's nobody at the hospital that's going to allow her that option. Right. So 
82% uh, success rate for vaginal breach delivery at home. And of those 27... Um, These uh, are your stats. Yeah, of those 27 women who had breach deliveries, uh, at least 20 of them were first-time mothers. Um, so it isn't something that only women having their second, third, or fourth baby can have a breach delivery. Um, as far as the uh, other, there were five other breach deliveries because they were tw- uh, twins. Three of them were vertex breach, which is headfirst breach, and one actually woman had a breach breach twins, and she had them at home. So there were actually 33 breaches, of which 28 delivered successfully from below, which is a which is about an 85% success rate for breach delivery. This report is written, uh, dare I say, obviously, for the consumption of medical professionals. What can a mom, a mom-to-be, what can a pregnant lady, a pregnant woman, and her partner, what can they, and, and they'll go to the website, they can download this, they can read this, what can they, not being doctors, nurses, doulas, or midwives, just pregnant moms who are excited with their partner, what can they glean from this study of yours that reflects on 135 out-of-hospital births, Dr. Stu? Well, I think that, I think that, that this just gives people who were thinking about the option of a home birth the, a little bit more evidence to suggest that it's a reasonable option. And that's what I think. I mean, I'm not trying to use this paper to convince everybody to have a home birth, nor am I trying to, uh, you know, show up my colleagues who don't allow breaches or twins or VBACs in their hospitals. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with doing what I believe in and, and publishing the data, raw data. I didn't really tabulate the data. I actually tabulated after the first 100. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I didn't look at the data before, and I didn't really know what was going to come. And I suppose if the data had been terrible, I probably wouldn't. I probably would have slunk away and not published a paper. So, But it's really, it really is an impressive. When you're talking about 135 deliveries, of which 27 were breached, 12 were twins, 32 were VBACs. That's, I think, if, that, if you add that up correctly, that was like 60, 32... Oh, 59, 71, 71, 71 of yeah, my, right, right. 71 of my 135 deliveries were, were VBAC twin or breach deliveries. And mm. yet I only had eight, I had 127 women deliver vaginally and a total of eight C-sections for an overall rate of 5.9%. Of the one, okay. So obviously you talked about transporting, you mentioned it before, transporting to the hospital, the 135 at home births, none of those, none of the 135 includes a transport, correct? No. Of, because of a transport. No, they do. They, they do. do. Okay. 14, 14 women transported. The transport rate was 11%. Okay. And uh, uh, two of the women went by ambulance. One was for a woman who was having a VBAC who began to develop symptoms at 10 centimeters that were a little suspicious of possibly early scar uh, dehiscence or what we call a scar rupture. So you wanted to be cautious. So we were being very cautious. And that turned out to be fine. And the scar hadn't ruptured. But... She ended up having a repeat cesarean section at a local Kaiser. What do you find happens there? A quick question: When, when, uh, when a couple, when a woman plans for the at-home birth, yep. and they plan and they plan and they plan, and the emotions are obvious in the planning and the picking of where in the house, and 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 there's an excitement and there's an ap- there, there's an anticipation, not an apprehension. There's an anticipation of the home birth, and then there there's almost a certain sadness when the home birth doesn't happen, and they wind up find themselves in an ambulance. Maybe some tears are shed at that point when they're off to the hospital. Uh, do you find, Doctor Stu, when that happens, and the fourteen that you mentioned are are off to the hospital or are transported to the hospital, when those 
excuse me, when those 14 females, when those 14 women come back for another baby, if they do, are they, are they usually uh, just as gung-ho about home birth and really want it this time, I don't want to get in that ambulance again, or do they honestly find something in the experience of going to the hospital that changes their opinion on home birth in a pro-hospital way? Uh, that's know, a tough question you know, for you, yeah, but it's an honest Most of question. those women, Brian, haven't, I haven't been doing this long enough to have them come around with the second baby or anything I see, like that. I see. But I, I would suspect that... that, that Do you understand the question? Yeah, I would suspect that most of these women, if they end up going to the hospital, understand that they absolutely needed to go to the hospital. That's the beauty of the midwifery model with having a good relationship with these people. They, we have a trust that works both ways. And they know that they try to do it at home, whereas opposed to a woman who you know, is told to come to the hospital by her physician at two cents, you know, in early labor and ends up getting all these interventions. Um, she may have regret later on that she may not have needed to be there that early or have got, you know, that, that, that sort of thing led down a path that led her into, uh, into a mess. Mm. Um, some people would choose if the, after that experience, I'm sure they would choose the second baby to have it in the hospital. And I'm sure that most of the, but I think most of the women are, are, are committed the idea that listen, I mean, I ended up needing the hospital this time, but I'm certainly going to really uh, willing to try this again because I, I believe in it, and and so I think that the 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 again this thing about this paper is that it just gives people information. Um, and by the way, I do describe in detail every one of the transports, so yeah, really. you can read the paper and you can find out you know all the transports, what they were for. I also had uh, during that during the course of this 135 births, there were 22 women who came into care but ended up developing uh, issues during the pregnancy long before labor that required their care to be transferred to a traditional obstetrician. And I do find, by the way, I've been lucky. Um, only once or twice I've ever transported a woman uh, to a hospital where uh, the hospital has not been very gracious and very wonderful. Most of the hospitals in this area uh, tend to be, you know, very accepting of the fact that these women are doing what they're doing and they've been great. I don't know what they mumble in the doctor's lounge, but I do know, I do know that in front of the patient and stuff, except for one or two episodes, they have been very accepting of the transport. If you're a longtime listener to Dr. Stu's podcast or a new listener or uh, someone who has been around uh, long enough to remember uh, Dr. Stu uh, trying to get his paper published, his paper has been published. It's called Home Birth with an Obstetrician, a series of 135 out-of-hospital births, and we have it linked on the website website so you can get it and read it it's very interesting it's very academic very technical uh, uh some of it but it's worth reading in the time we have remaining uh i want to again congratulations on getting this and it's worth noting uh, at first doctors do say well i have my first hundred out of hospital births i can write an article on 100 in the time it took to to twist some arms and get the publishing 100 went to 135 another 35 babies came into the world yep. so uh it's wonderful i want to ask you because here we are and we did a little bit of this last year and i think it's worth repeating now because uh this podcast will go up in the month of july and uh summertime summertime is here you know and uh and and there we do the show from southern california from los angeles and summertime across america depending upon where you are is is usually hot it can be humid it can be muggy it can be 
hazy and that heat can can especially to a young woman who's carrying around you know uh, you know dozens of pounds more than than she did before she was pregnant uh i call it a schwitz fest i mean everybody's schwitzing and then uh, you know i call it the schwitzing and the and the sweating summertime is unlike any other season i would think dr Stu, for a woman that's pregnant i would think there are some there are some words of caution that can be offered because uh, look we see perfectly healthy people uh and again and again pregnant women are perfectly healthy they're not sick uh we see people who aren't pregnant encounter problems throughout the summer sometimes older people sometimes younger people sometimes people in the prime of their life and, and you know in their 20s and 30s and their 50s encounter problems what what, what are some words of uh, of caution some some sort of uh rules to live by some 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 notes that you might offer to a pregnant woman and her partner who of course is uh, living life with her for do's and don'ts when it comes to summertime when it comes to beach time when it comes to pool time when it comes to libation time and refreshment time and why are you laughing and, and getting out of the heat time well i'm laughing because again it's it, it's not rocket science it's very commonsensical as to what to do in the summer and it really you know i i know we're talking about pregnancy here but these sort of things apply to even when you're not pregnant and it's it's simple stuff it's like uh be careful use sunscreen if you're going to be out in the sun and sunscreen is perfectly fine while you're pregnant uh, but you know, wear protection, wear a hat with that sort of thing. Can you go higher or lower with sunscreen? Is it, should you go? Does the SPF matter? Yeah, it really depends on your your skin. I mean, it, it, your skin doesn't change dramatically. I don't think you're significantly more likely to get sunburn when you're pregnant than you when you're not. I mean, you may have a little bit more surface area. So use so, what, use <laughs> what you right. Yeah. Use what you always used is the rule of thumb. Sure. sure. Okay. Yeah, and then keep. Well. This is important. I know it's it's second nature to you, yeah. but to, but to females listening who are pregnant, maybe for the first time, this is important stuff to yeah, hear. Yeah, keep well hydrated all what right? does that mean well hydrated well you drink drink at least two liters of uh of, of uh, water a day right. despite our drought in california find two liters of water despite the drought <laughs> yeah. and drink it That's and right. don't feel guilty or leave california or leave california right. and, get, and get eight liters or, or, or have your friends <laughs> have your friends from scotland ship you some water <laughs> you know one of the interesting things about the, my trip to scotland was was the facts that um, our driver, John, who, who was a marvelous guy, and uh, my kids and I will always remember him. But we were at Loch Ness, and uh, uh, although we didn't see the real Nessie, um, we, he did tell us that if you drained the water out of Loch Ness, it would have enough water in it to give California water for five and a half years. Wow. All of California. And he said if you drained the water out of Loch Ness, because of there's so much groundwater in in Scotland, that the the lock would fill itself back up again within a year, pretty quickly. Right. What are some of the other rules? So I talked to him about. What are yeah. maybe he and I could start a pipeline? Yeah, exactly. Right. You're right. trying to Except make. Except I don't think we'd get yeah. approval from the Obama administration. No, I don't think you would. Right. What are some of the other rules of thumb for moms or or soon to be moms or right. moms or that. moms who are planning uh, this summertime with the heat? Because I don't want to say with the global swimming warming, swimming pools. It's been hot. Let's talk about swimming, swimming pools. pools. If you have access to a swimming pool. It's great. Not only is it cool because it's summertime, even in the wintertime, but it's it it gives you some. You have a chance to get some cardio without any strain on your on your body. Mm. You're weightless in there, so it's great. So just float around in the swimming pool. Um, you know, in the real heats of day, real hot time of day, uh, you probably should avoid being in a hot closed car. I mean, obviously, air conditioning now we don't really worry about things like we did. You know, 30, 40 years ago. Three o'clock in the valley, 110 in Woodland Hills. Where do you go? 
you stay to, home. We go to the mall. Turn stay turn home. the air conditioner. Go to a movie theater. Right. Yeah. Go to the mall. Go to the movie theater. Stay home. Uh, you know, most likely. Uh, you said drink two liters of water. Uh, at least two liters okay, of water. And, and then it depends on el- what else you're doing. And I wonder, is that number inflated because of the baby growing inside? Yeah, you get, mom has more waste products, more things to get to, uh, and more volume in her body. So she needs, it helps to keep the uh, uh, fluids, uh, blood flowing through the kidneys, which helps to filtrate out all the extra waste products. And so you don't yeah. want to get dehydrated because when you're dehydrated, you're more likely to have uterine irritability and, and, and contractions. I have a dumb question. Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm the late person, and uh, sometimes I think I sound dumb. Sometimes. I don't think you've ever really asked a dumb question, Brian. Okay. But, I, but I appreciate the idea that you're asking a question that you're not, you're not necessarily very It's my vulnerability. About, I'm right? honest. I'm honest. That's right. Part of my charm. That's why I, I love you. I love you why back. you're the best in the business. Oh, my God. You're the best in the business. I love you so much. <laughs> want to come over there and sit on the couch with you right now and mm. watch a movie. Let me ask you a question. Does the you, can ba- do the, you can do the Marilyn Monroe voice again. The, uh, I'll pass on that. Okay. <laughs> so I mentioned earlier 110 Woodland Hills, anywhere Although the Ross Perot voice was actually quite sexy. Can I finish? <laughs> okay. Want to watch a movie now? That's just sad. Let's put the notebook on and watch a movie. Let's watch a romantic comedy. Can I finish? All right. Here's the deal. Should, I almost forgot my question. Oh, yeah. Does the fetus, does the baby growing inside mom, feel the heat the way mom does? No. Why not? Because the because the, you're thermoregulated. Your body core temperature is you know a couple of, a degree or, a degree or more above your. If you take your temperature with your with a temporal artery thermometer or your mouth, it's going to be about ninety seven something like that. Your core body temperature is one or two degrees above that. So the baby's a constant ninety eight and a half, ninety nine degrees inside. That's pretty much. Uh, it doesn't change. Right, but I'm not, I don't feel like, I'm in an air-conditioned room right now, it feels like it's 78. Yeah, but inside your body is regulated because your 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 skin... Right, but does the protects... baby, what, what's going on inside the womb there? Does the baby, like right now, does the baby <laughs> the feel like... The baby's not it, boiling, it's not freezing, it's... it's, it's, it's does, does the baby, but the baby cut. doesn't feel like it's 98 because that's too hot. No, that's that's the temperature of the of it is. Yes, we got to get an air. We got to get a fan in there. We got to get an AC in there for that baby. <laughs> I wanted the baby to feel seventy eight. It's got to be seventy eight and nice in there. The baby mm-hmm. doesn't have any fat. The baby can't control its temperature. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It needs to. Its temperature is controlled by mama. Interesting. When the baby comes out, when you catch a baby, Doctor Stu, and a baby is delivered, I know they always put a towel around the baby. Yes. But is the is the since we're talking about heat and the summertime and babies and home delivery and Doctor Stu and his podcast number eighty five and he's published and it's great. When a baby is caught and the baby comes out, is the presumption by the professionals like you yeah. that the baby comes out cold? Or hot, or just right. Baby comes out just right. Okay, they always come out just right because they're the, their mom's body temperature. All right. However, they lose heat really rapidly. I First see. of all, they're wet. That explains the the towel. Yeah, they're wet for one thing. Right. And usually the room temperature, even though in home birthing we ask the families to turn up the just before when they start pushing, we have them turn up the room and the heat in the room. Turn up the heat, not the AC. No, you turn the heat to about 78 to 80 degrees. Okay. So the birth workers are dying. Yeah. But And the, uh, the mother doesn't care because she's naked. Right. Okay. And she just wants that baby out. Yeah, she's, you know, she's in her own little space. Right. And sure. she's not paying attention that much. Dad fits. And if she's, if she's hot, then you put a cold pack on her forehead and you give her some ice water to drink. Okay. But you warm the room up because when the baby comes out, it's all about the baby. And the baby goes on the skin. And that's why skin to skin is important because that keeps the baby's temperature uh, regulated. And we put the towel on the top sort of to 
keep the heat in and also to dry it off a little bit because the baby is is, is wet. And so when you're, as you know, when you're wet, things evaporate. Evaporation takes away heat from your body. If you have any questions about uh, summertime and babies, and if you're uh, currently pregnant or you're going to be pregnant, uh, ask Stu at gmail.com. Here's the cool news. Dr. Stu reads all of those emails and responds to them, and they make oftentimes for for entertaining uh, uh, repartee on the show. Entertaining information comes from your emails. If you want anonymity, it's guaranteed. Ask Stu at gmail.com. Gmail.com. Yeah, I just want to add that that we we talk a lot on the show about about uh, informed consent and options and and the purpose of, the, of this paper that we talked that I wrote and the whole message that I want from this is I want people to know that there is other options out there and that whether you choose a hospital birth with an epidural or whether you end up with a primary elective C-section or whether you have a home birth in the water or on on land or whatever you try, choose to do. Do it with at least giving, getting the information. And the whole purpose of this paper is to provide information. And also, you know, the closing sentence of the paper. Why don't you, why don't you read the last uh, sentence or two on the paper, Brian? Or I can, I, I used no, to know it by uh, heart. But. Uh, I can do it. If I can get to the last sentence, I can. And no, but there's, there's no, uh, page re- five. Page five. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. Page five. Where's page I'll five? Read it. Oh, you read it. <laughs> You're so funny. If you showed me where it was in highlight, I could have read it with All my right. big well, yeah, you can read it with your big broadcast voice. Why right. don't you read from about All right. the words lowering the C-section rate? Lowering the C-section rate. Right, right about uh, there. I see it. Okay. Lowering the cesarean section rate is a worthy goal, and educating the next generation of obstetricians in these skills must be done before they are lost. Home birth will continue to grow as educated women realize that the current hospital model has many flaws. Cooperation, respect, and smooth transition from home to hospital honors the pregnant woman and is our ethical obligation. Right. So that's the whole, that, you wanted to know the message of the paper? That's it. That says it better than I actually said it earlier on. That's that is it. the message of the paper, is that, is that there's options available, women, and women know it. And uh, the more we educate them, the more the system will have to change to conform to them because what we're doing now in the hospital system is not very good. We're not, we have a high C-section rate. We have a low satisfaction rate. We're not teaching the next generation of physicians how to really be obstetricians. And this is our mission. And this is the mission of, of me and all those people and midwives and other physicians who who think like I do. He is published. Podcast number 85, Dr. Stu is published. Congratulations again, my friend. Thank you, Brian. Sincerely, and thanks for joining us on Podcast 85. And check it out on uh, com and on iTunes, all the podcasts in the past you might have missed. Share them on Twitter. Share them on Facebook uh, with your friends and your family. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on podcast number 86. Wow, time flies when you're talking out of birth hospital out of hospital birthing right time flies when you're talking about out of hospital birth you know these these are my favorite you know i love these afternoons they don't come often enough and we have so many interruptions sometimes between my schedule and birthing and your your meetings and and all this stuff so when we when we're able to get together you know how much we like each other let's we, do it we, we, we do, do it. let's do it more often and we like producer randy who's we do. sort of he's just off in tech world over there nah, he's a great guy let's do this more often really let's do this it's good stuff and important information thank you for joining us and thank you for seeking the information that could make your childbirth as memorable and wonderful and special as you always dreamed it would be 
Thanks for joining us on Dr. Stu's podcast. I'm Brian Whitman for Dr. Stuart Fishbein. See you next time.